Well, hello everybody and a happy new year. Now, the more astute amongst you will probably realise that uh, the fact that I've just said that means that this is the Mark Leverage podcast for January 2022. A new year and a new series of podcasts, which I'm looking forward to doing for you over the next 12 months. And we hope it'll be a better 12 months than the last two years have been. But who knows? Actually, for me personally, last month was um, a bit of a landmark because it saw me complete 40 years as a full-time pro. And as I suppose these sort of things tend to do, it led me to reflect a little bit on the four, last four decades that I've been doing this job. And, uh, and I suddenly realised the number of things which back in December 81, when I actually took the plunge, the number of things that were completely different in the magic world uh, to the way that they are now. Uh, the first thing that, and this is in no particular order, but uh, the first thing that occurred to me was lectures. There were very few overseas lectures, relatively speaking. You know, if, if somebody came over from America to do a lecture tour of the UK, it was a heck of an event. Whereas pre-COVID times, in the last sort of um, 10 years or so, you'd say, well, it's a very common occurrence. Conventions, even relatively small conventions, seem to be able to manage to book foreign over or overseas lecturers. And, uh, and so it was, it's not the unusual event that it was back in 1981. Of course, back in 1981, there, were, there was no internet, or at least not that the public used. And because there's no internet, there were no websites, there was no email, no social media. There weren't even any mobile phones, really, and virtually no personal computers. I can remember that around about that time, wondering whether the the truth, whatever the truth there was in the in the opinion that within a very short space of time, we would all have personal computers, just like businesses do in our homes. We'd be running our lives from them. It seemed a bit far-fetched, really. Yes, just shows you how you can't really see very far ahead sometimes. But uh, I got my first computer at a, in around about 1982, 1983, something like that. And it was quite a revolution at the time. And... Uh, transformed my business and it was also at the same time roughly the same time that I got the first desktop um, and it wasn't a printer and it wasn't a laser printer it was a proper copier and uh, it used heavy rollers to crush the toner against the paper rather than the heat system and uh, it was made by Canon and I had that was my first and that was a quantum leap for me when I had the ability then to produce publicity which had photographs in it and uh, it was amazing and good illustrations and rather than trying to to do everything with relatively primitive cut and paste I could actually do it all myself on a copier and it was absolutely fantastic and of course this meant that uh, in terms of contacting my customers because there was no internet and websites etc everything was done through the mail I would send out newsletters and things like that on a regular basis that were produced on my new copier and that was the way that I contacted people and in turn orders used to come back through the post. The postman was the most important person in my daily routine because what he delivered to me often decided what I was going to do that day. I'd go through the orders and deal with them and package them up and take them down to the post office to send. It, it was like a ritual that I went through every day and uh, then telephone orders started to come in 
I then decided to buy an answer phone. Well, that was at the time was un unusual for magic businesses to have an answer phone, but I had an answer phone fairly early on and also a fax machine. Once those came in, I was cutting edge in the magic world. I had a fax machine so people could fax me their orders rather than leaving a message on my answer phone or by ring or ringing me up. Gosh, so different now. You hardly speak to customers nowadays. Um, in those days, you were hard pressed not to speak to customers. Credit cards? Well, credit cards were actually looked down upon. You only had a credit card in the early 1980s if you couldn't afford stuff. That was basically the way it was, look, it was looked at. And uh, the revolution of, of the way of ordering everything using a bit of plastic card and with some numbers on it was yet to really take off. The magic conventions were different too. There the weren't the, the sort of the overseas dealers so much at most magic conventions. And, and also the dealers themselves, the UK dealers, there were one or two big players like Supreme Magic or Kenbrook and people like that. But um, the rest of them were made up of one-man bands, a lot of one-man bands, and I was one of them, of course. People who had their own ideas and marketed basically just their own products. And conventions were extremely important because you would always save all your new releases to coincide with either the Blackpool convention or the IBM convention in September. Or sometimes, as in my case, I did it for both. And those were really important events. People would come to your stand to see what was new because they had no other way of finding out very much. Certainly no other way of seeing it. And so when you think how different it is now with people bringing out stuff, literally drip feeding it all the time with video uh, demonstrations online for, that everybody and anybody can watch, you see how difficult it was in those days. You actually had to attend a convention to see it. In show terms of shows, close up wasn't that big. I did a lot of killed children's shows. Um, which were very big. They were king. I mean, if you did children's shows, you could pretty much guarantee if you had a good act that you get plenty of work. And uh, and of course, I suppose the other thing about just talking about video, video tapes were in their infancy, really, for magic. And they were very expensive, unbelievably expensive, especially compared to what things are these days. So that's just a quick snapshot. So many things that were in, in comparison to today, relatively primitive. And yet at the time, they seemed, a lot of it seemed quite advanced, as I suppose what we now think is advanced won't be advanced at all in about 10 years time or less. Anyway, I really did have fun having a little stroll down memory lane. It's probably true to say that most patter acts, either stand-up acts or strolling magicians, would use comedy to supplement the magic that they do. It's, it's a natural thing, I think, if you're a commercial performer, to assume that the audiences who come to watch us, they want to be entertained, and to do that, we feel we need to make them laugh. And in most of the cases, this can lead to a very successful show. But I think there are times when if the comedy gets too much, it becomes too almost intrusive, it can push the magic so far back down the, the pecking order in terms of the impact of the show that people start to lose sight of the fact that you're a magician at all. Now, this may, if that's what you're going for, this may be fine. 
But if you're essentially a, a magician who rather prides himself in being able to do good magic, but wants to use comedy as well, I think there is a balance to be struck between having the right amount of comedy to supplement the magic and having too much so that it, it overwhelms it. This was brought home to me quite graphically at a FISM convention that I attended um, many years ago in which I was watching the international close-up show and one of the performers there was at the time and actually still is one of the most highly regarded close-up magicians in the world. He'd published books, had DVDs out, he was very creative and he had a lot of skill and great ideas. But he also did a lot of comedy and he loved slapstick comedy. And so he would use the comedy as well as the magic. And gradually over the years, this got more and more and more until this particular show at FISM. The thing I thought had descended into total farce because I went expecting to see comedy, yes, but also a good smattering of great magic and actually saw virtually no magic at all just a load of buffoonery, really. It was it was awful, I thought. And people were rolling in the aisles and they were loving it. And uh, he had a reputation for being a bit zany, so it was totally in keeping in one way. But I came away feeling entertained up to a point, but also as a magician, watching another magician, I was really disappointed at the, how little magic content, especially considering how much he was capable of, he actually did. And I felt to myself that, yes, you know, that is somebody who, in my view, has allowed the comedy to completely dominate. And he's, he's no longer being, can be seen as a magician at all if all of his shows are like that. There probably weren't at the time. They certainly aren't now, I'm sure. But there was this feeling at the time that uh, I thought he was selling out and not making the most of his skills. So ever since that time, I have tried to make a little balance here. I think it's great. I, I, I do believe that lay people like to see comedy plots. They love funny lines and situations. But I am now try, if I possibly can, to keep in mind at all times that the magic is still the most important thing because I want to be seen as a magician and not actually just as a comedian. I got a call the other day from an agent who I've known for many years and who I will be um, helping out at an event in March of this year. And he was just ringing up to sort out a few details with me. And we were, as we often do, we, put in, we were putting the worlds to rights. He always asked me how things are going for me and I in turn ask him how the agent world is. And although he's a man in his mid to late 80s, so the amount of work that he does through his agency these days is by choice more limited. He was telling me some of the things and some of the problems that, of course, agents have had because of COVID over the last two years. And, you know, we, we, we as magicians, we tend to look at our own situation and say, well, gosh, how terrible. I've had no shows and all the rest of it. Yes, of course. But you don't, perhaps don't think about the agents uh, and their lot because they were already, I think, under a certain amount of pressure because of online agencies that the lay public can just go on to and uh, bark and add to event these type of platforms that allow lay people to make an inquiry remotely on online and not actually contact a, a real person, if you like. 
So they're already under pressure for that. But then when COVID comes along, of course, they need acts to be out there working, don't they? Otherwise, they don't get their commission. If people are not making inquiries, the acts are not out there working, then the agents just make literally no money. They have no other way of generating income that I can think of that's related to what they normally do. So we chatted, he and I chatted about this for some time and it, I hadn't really fully appreciated how difficult this situation is. And it does make me wonder whether there'll be quite a few agencies that will go to the wall because especially if they have in any way staff that they employ, if they were big agencies, you think about you know cruise ships who would perhaps book through agencies, big companies, these have all been on hold. Big companies have not been, generally speaking, booking any events. They Otherwise, they get accused of, of being irresponsible and having events that spread COVID more rapidly than, than anybody can imagine. So they don't have them. And cruise liners the same. Uh, for a long time, cruises stopped completely because cruises were considered to be a petri dish of infection. So for these agents trying to put acts onto cruise there was no cruises no no big corporate events no general parties wow i mean that that's that's as bad as being an ordinary performer so i do wonder whether a lot of these agents as i say will go to the wall and that we will see uh, far less agency agencies existing in a post-covid era and whether the online ones, who's presumably whose overheads are less, I don't know, possibly less, whether they will be the only ones that will be able to survive and that the ordinary normal agents for, that have been in, in, in existence for the last goodness knows how many decades will become a, a, a sort of a thing of the past. Occasionally in these podcasts, I like to slip in a little bit of pre-recorded audio. And this time I've decided to share with you. It's actually was originally a video and I'm just providing obviously the soundtrack from eClub Pro's It Could Only Happen Live archive. This is where I film myself sitting at a coffee table, drinking a coffee and talking to camera about some of the uh, wonderful, in inverted commas, things that have happened to me in the 40 years that I've been a, a pro performer. And there's all sorts of funny tales and salutary tales too. And I'd like to share one with you now that happened to me probably about 15 to 20 years ago. And uh, I, I hope that you will enjoy the story and just be glad that it wasn't you. There was a children's party which I was booked to do out in a village hall. In a, in a village that's about 10 miles away on the outskirts of Exeter where I live. And um, it's, uh, I've been to this village hall once or twice before. It's quite a nice, big, spacious hall. And so uh, I knew where I was going, so it was good. And uh, I went out there on one particular Saturday afternoon to do a children's party. And uh, I get there and I go inside and, and uh, you know that feeling when you, you know, because when you're booked with somebody, if they do it well, these days on the internet and those days on the phone, you, you don't get to see what they look like. You don't know what the, the people who booked you, who they are. And when you arrive at a venue, there's, there's a lot of adults there perhaps milling around, doing things, getting the party ready, or if it's already in, in sort of actually running, then they'll be helping with the children, perhaps with a meal or something like that. And you, you don't always know who you should approach. 
So um, anyway, so I'm arrived, I arrived and um, there was, the, the children were doing some, some activity, a game or something like that. And I arrived there and, uh, and I sort of stood in the doorway for a, for a moment, just looking around, trying to see whether anyone would look over and go, oh, hello, and, and come over to me. And nobody did. They sort of glanced at me and then that was it. So after I'd stood there for a couple of minutes and nobody seemed to be approaching me, I thought, well, <laughs> I can't just stand here like an idiot. So I went, I, I went further into the room and eventually I went up to somebody and I said, um, sorry, can you, can you organise with the party? So he said, oh, so-and-so over there. So I went over to this lady and I said, um, oh, hi. I said, um, Mark, I'm, I'm here. Um, where would you like me to set up? She said, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry, who are you? I said, Mark Leverage, I'm the magician. I just wonder where you want me to set up. She said, uh, I, I'm sorry, I haven't booked a magician. And I said, um, yes, yes, we, we, um, we had a telephone conversation. I sent you a letter of confirmation uh, and everything. Um, you, d you definitely booked me for today and I'm here to, to work. She said, I, I'm really sorry, I don't know who you are. I've, I've never contacted you. I, I have no idea who you are at all. Um, are you in the right place? I said, yes. I said, yes, I'm definitely in the right place. Um, I said, I, I know this village hall and it's definitely here that, that uh, you booked me for. She said, well, I'm very sorry, but I, I absolutely have no idea what you're talking about. And I've never, I haven't booked you. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I can't have you perform because I, I don't know who you are. And anyway, I haven't booked you. So I said, right, okay. Well, so I, I didn't know what to do really. So I said, well, okay. Thanks very much. I'm sorry to have bothered you. And, and I went out. I went back to the car. Now, fortunately, I hadn't taken all my things in. I always like to go in and just make sure everything's okay before I stagger in with all my stuff. And uh, so I went back to the car and I got the, the file card with all the show details. And I looked at it. Yep. Definitely the right venue. Ah, wrong date. I'd actually gone a week early. <laughs> so it was the right place, but I was seven days in advance, for some reason, in my when I got home, I looked in my diary. I'd written everything in the right date. I had the right date in the diary on the file card. It said the right date, but I hadn't gone on the right date. I'd gone the week a week earlier, and somewhere I must have glanced in my diary, looked at the wrong way. Oh, got a show Saturday. Grabbed the card, prepared it. Never noticed that the date was wrong, and that party was the party that was happening for somebody I had never met the previous week. That's embarrassing. That really is embarrassing. Actually, the only good thing was at least I was going to the to the party that I was actually booked for a week early and not a week late, which would have been worse, wouldn't it? Honestly, it could only happen live. I've read on a number of occasions and also heard it said as well by those in the know that if you're creating an act, if you want it to be a good act, you need something that unifies the act as a whole that kind of blends everything that you do in the act together, because otherwise all that you're going to be left with is a succession of disconnected tricks. And I can see that, for, let's say, for instance, a magic competition act, just to go on and present 10 minutes of first do one trick, then do another disconnected trick from that, then do another one, is not going to win you a competition. And that is why by unifying the action, by blending one thing into the next, having the props from one trick change magically into the props required for the second, or having some sort of a musical interlude that unifies everything together, that these make for a better, more seamless act. 
and it, make it into the sort of act that will win a competition. But if you're not talking about competitions, if you're just talking about entertaining lay people, I do sometimes wonder whether isn't that what they see an act as in any case, a succession of tricks? And do those tricks really need to be unified in any way? Isn't the fact that each trick is perhaps completely different and disconnected from the previous trick that provides variety, perhaps you could argue? And it's, it's not something that is to be looked down upon, but something to be encouraged. I mean, I don't know the answer to this exactly, but I, because I've never really talked to lay people about this in any length. But it seems to me that when lay people watch a magician, they are looking for him to perform tricks for them. Sometimes lay people don't even know what to call them. Sorry, am I being rude calling them tricks? They'll say, are they illusions or what do you call them? They just want to see magical things. And to my way of thinking, the, the each trick in itself, if it's a strong piece of magic, if it's presented well, if, if it's an entertaining piece of theatre or whatever, the fact that the next trick that you do has absolutely nothing very much to do with the first trick, I'm not sure it really matters, does it? I suppose the thing that does unify all acts, or all good acts anyway, even if the tricks are all very separate, is the personality of the performer. The fact that it's you and your unique way of presenting things, hopefully, that is the thing that brings it all together. Whether it's a sense of humour that is typical of, as the audience gradually discovers during your act, typical of you, whether it's an attitude or a way of delivering lines or the types of things that you say, that it's those things that make the consistent overarching uh, canopy, if you like, across the act. And the tricks themselves, therefore, don't have to be blended all together into one seamless length. It's a bit like music, isn't it, in a way? When somebody produces an album, sometimes you, you have themed albums where, looking at classic ones, Pink Floyd's The Wall, it's, it's like a story. It's, it, so one thing leads to another. There are themes going on and there's a progression. But in most albums, that's not really the case. There might be a, a type of music, sometimes not even that. But even so, each individual song is very, can be very different. And so we don't look down upon those albums and say, well, all those songs, they, you know, they're all very different. That's terrible. No, we don't do that, do we? If we like the songs, then it's all well and good. Surely is not the same true of magic. As I say, not for competition acts. I understand that if you're trying to impress magicians and show that you've put more thought into what you're doing, then naturally enough, you need to have something a bit extra. But for entertaining lay people, provided that the tricks are entertainingly presented, that you as a performer have a consistent personality. And quite frankly, I can't see what the problem is. And really, if they are all disconnected tricks, if they're all good tricks, then I don't think the audience will mind in the slightest. As I mentioned in last month's podcast, December saw the first presentation of my brand new lecture, Leverage Leisure Demand. It was a Zoom open event uh, attended from a number of people from around the world. And I'm pleased to say that I felt that it went very well. I was very pleased with the with the material that I was able to include, felt it had plenty of variety 
and had some really, really nice ideas, all of them extracted from the archives of eClub Pro, but several of them not just taken from there, but actually showing versions that had moved on since they were originally logged on eClub Pro. And so uh, although several of the people who attended the open event were actually members, these were extensions of routines that if they already knew them from having watched them on eClub Pro, they would have found something extra and hopefully more beneficial too. So uh, it really was a good trial run almost, if you like, of the lecture. And I'm now obviously going to open it up and offer it to magic clubs around the world. It's available in two formats, both Zoom and in person. Now, obviously, for magic clubs outside the UK, the Zoom version is a very economical way to, to bring my lecture to the members. And I'm very, very happy to do the Zoom version of it. I'm comfortable with the format and I think it does provide an excellent learning platform. However, I know that there are some clubs who would either have not done Zoom at all or who don't wish to do it anymore. And so there is also the in-person where I will travel. It costs more, naturally enough, but I will travel and come and present the lecture live in your club room. So if you're looking for a, um, a lecture this year, something that provides a lot of varied, well thought through magic, then please do get in contact with me and we can discuss dates and availability generally. The, the information about the lecture is on my website. If you go to the lectures page and it gives you all the details of costs and various other details of what's in the lecture. So hopefully I will see some of you either at a Zoom event or at an in-person club night soon. There's a humorous sign off line, which I rather like and which I've used to get myself away from a table when I have got to the end of a show for a group or which I've also used to conclude my stand-up act. And it's the sort of thing where you go, and finally, just to leave you with this little thought, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today, because if you do it today and you like it, you can do it again tomorrow. So I rather like that as a sign-off line. I think it leaves people with a little something to think about. But I suppose in the real world, you'd have to rewrite it, and you'd have to say, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today, because tomorrow it may not still be there. I mean, that's the reality, isn't it? We've, I think we've all, especially because of COVID, but we've, we've all become much more inward looking and much more reluctant to get out into the world and do stuff. And it's an unfortunate thing, but I suppose it's inevitable when we've been told to self-isolate the whole time and not to mix with other people. That we, we've, a lot of us have lost the will to do that. And so if an opportunity comes up to, to go to the Magic Club or to go and watch a lecture, sometimes the temptation, because we're out of the habit, is to say, oh, I, I can't bother with this one. I'll, I'll go next time. I'll go next time. Well, of course, the trouble with this is it's all very well. But if you don't support the things that are going on at the moment, as people try to get back to normal, put on events, if you don't go to them, they're not going to bother so you say, oh, I'll go, to that. I'll go to that convention next year. Well, you might not, because next year that event may not exist because they haven't taken the risk of actually putting it on and losing money on it again. So I think sometimes it, it, it need, we need to have a reality check on things and realise that, yes, we are going to have to make a bit of more of an effort to support things that people are doing. 
I, this was brought home to me in a simple way. My, my son is 37 and he still plays men's football. And I, over the years of, right from when he first started playing football for a team at 10, I've gone cons fairly consistently to watch him play. In more recent times, I haven't gone, gone as often as I should or I've been able to. But there was a Saturday recently where I had nothing going on in the afternoon. And so I thought, well, I'll ask Tim, I'll see whether he's playing a game. He might, because he, his home ground's quite close to where I live. I thought, well, if he's playing locally, that'd be great. So I sent him a message, are you playing? He writes back, yes. I said, are you at home? No, we're playing at, and then he named a village that's three quarters of an hour away. So I wrote back, I said, oh, that's a pity you're not at home. Um, never mind, it's rather a long way for me, for me to come. And after I'd sent the message, I thought, that is so lazy. All right, yes, it's cold out there this afternoon, but how many more years is he going to be able to play? Am I actually going to be able to go and watch him? Because he'll have stopped playing. He's talked several times about retiring because it's physically quite demanding for him. So I wrote back and I said, actually, where, where, which is the, where's the pitch? And he gave me the details and I went. It was a terrific match. I thoroughly enjoyed myself and I was so glad I'd made the effort. And it, I think it's things like that make you realise that don't put off going to conventions, watching lectures, doing the things that you you know you want to do really, but which you're frightened to do or too lazy to do. Don't put them off because they may not be there next time and you'll only regret that, that it was a missed opportunity. Well, thank you so much for listening to the first podcast of the new year. It's been great to have you along and I will look forward to being back with you again in February. Bye for now.